I'm packing my grip And I'm leaving today Cause I'm taking a trip California way I'm gonna settle down and never more roam And make the San Fernando Valley my home I'll forget my sins, yes, yes I'll be making new friends Where the West begins and the sunset ends Cause I've decided where yours truly really ought to be And it's the San Fernando Valley for me I think that I'm safe in stating She will be waiting When my lonely journey is done And kindly old Reverend Thomas Made us a promise He will make the two of us one So I'm hitting the trail To the cow country You can forward my mail Care of RFD I'm gonna settle down And never more roam And make the San Fernando Valley my home Listen to Ink Thuds on CITR 101.9 FM. My guest this week is Mark Kolesnico, as well as I'm joined by co-host, uh, always ready for duty, Colin Upton. Hello, Mark. Hello, Colin. Hello, Robin. How are you doing? Hello, Colin. Hello. Now, Mark's new book is Freeway uh, from Fantagraphics. Not a little book. Your biggest book yet, I would say. Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, it's 120 pages, yeah. It's more than 120 pages. No, I said 420. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, Mark was an early guest on the show. We were trying to figure out, I think it was probably around five years ago when Colin and I were talking about people we wanted to interview, and we'd heard that Mark was from BC or we figured because we'd read Mail Order Bride and Alex which looked very BC uh, specifically because it trail is referenced visually um, and so we're excited by that it was really important to us and still is important to be interviewing Canadian cartoonists um, mm-hmm. and Freeway just came out for Fantagraphics so I figure any time like the present to uh, reacquaint ourselves possibly um, yeah. So congratulations on finishing Freeway. Last time we talked, you were in the midst or just getting started? Uh, well, thank you first. Yes, uh, I was actually right in the midst. I, if, if memory serves, let's say it was five years ago, I was almost dead middle. <laughs> <laughs> the book took um, from the start, to, from starting the writing the script to 
final finish uh, took 10 years to do. So if, let's say that was five years ago, I was dead center right then. So, uh, so yeah, so it took quite a while. That's, uh, that's a lot of work. <laughs> now the character, the the book kind of takes on your uh, dog face character, Alex, the uh, begrudging uh, anthropomorphized. Uh, I don't know how to quite describe him. A dog character. <laughs> he's not always happy. <laughs> no, he's not. No, he's, he's always a bit, uh, bit uh, concerned and upset and worried about everything. He's quite anxious. You know, yeah, so, uh, kind of high strung. Yes, exactly, exactly. Let's just say he's not in the Zen world. <laughs> now, while your other books are very focused, seem very, um, they take place like we're saying in Trail, in BC. Like they feel like they're in the interior of British Columbia. Yes. Um, this is your L.A. book. Yes, it is. Yes, exactly. Uh-huh. I wanted to uh, yeah, explore my second home. My first home is Trail slash Bandini in the books. Um, but now I wanted to um, uh, explore Los Angeles, which is my current home now. How old were you when you moved down to L.A.? Oh, I was 20, 21 or 22 I, I, uh, when I went to CalArts. Uh, that was 1981, so I think I was 22. Okay. And you've been down there ever since? Yes. Yeah. It'll actually be 30 years this Labor Day, matter of fact. You know? oh, okay. Well, uh, uh, should I say congrats? A <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big celebration. Big anniversary. <laughs> now, in one part, it feels like it's your it's your L.A. book, and it also feels like it's kind of a response to your time working in animation. Yeah, in a way it is. It's like, it's, let's say, the experiences I had in animation inspired the book. Are you still doing animation at all? or is it... uh, Not right now, no. I actually was fortunate enough that I had enough money saved away that I was able to concentrate uh, almost exclusively on the book, which was a very, very, uh, uh, a really a great blessing, because if I had to also work, the book would still be in progress. <laughs> <laughs> So I blew my treasure and my sanity, but uh, so uh, but luckily I was able to get the book done. But uh, yeah, no, I haven't been in the business in in quite some time. But uh, actually, I'm going to have to try to get back into it. <laughs> Are you going to be approaching from the same direction you're doing before, or going to have to do things a little differently? Oh, I think things will have to be different because the world's changed. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's it's now the computer world, and it's. Uh, it's completely altered the business, so it's um, different. Different kind of plan. I have to figure how to get in there yet, but uh, but I'll work on it. You know, but uh, basically, even like in the book, if you notice in the book, the book is set in the animation that I knew, the animation of the uh, of the '90s, and mm-hmm. uh, it's still the old-fashioned. Everybody on paper and scrabbling, scrub, scribbling on their desks and stuff like that. Uh, so um, um, it's uh, it's not that you don't see many computers in there. So um, so uh, it's sort of an homage to that old days. It's an it's an homage, and it's also uh, a bit of a reverence of previous. I'm sorry, say it one more time. Uh, you Hold have it. like a certain amount of reverence for previous animation days. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's one of the big themes of it is the idea of romanticism. It is. Uh, I I'm a bad romanticist. I I romanticize. I romanticize the past. The funny thing is, I read histories. I read biographies and histories, and I'm very well aware of it. It was rough in the past, but still, I have this romantic vision of things past. And even I'll romanticize my own past, too, you know. So it's like uh, I'm bad that way. It's like even though I'll romanticize something like 10 years ago, and luckily I keep a journal, and I'll go check my journal and go, oh, it wasn't that good. You know, so it's, but still, my mind, I can do that, you know. So... So in a way, I took that into the book, and I said to myself that I want to take in the old animation world because it had such a mystique, and actually when I was going to school on that, I met a lot of teachers and had a lot of teachers who were from those days. And they'd tell you tales of, you know, working um, in the animation business, and it was amazing. So I said, why not imagine this and create my own studio and my own world with these old-time animators who were great artists and that. And then show this sort of almost like an utopian vision of this this uh, animation studio, which 
which in a way as it goes along you see is it's still based in reality it's not all utopian um but you're not basing it on particular people no no this is all it's, it's like matter of fact there was an author on charlie rose uh, that i wish i could remember his name but he had a good way of putting it he basically said it, you know one person said Do you write what you know but he put it this way and it was really good he said imagine what you know and that's exactly what I did here. It's t I took the, the animation world. I was inspired by certain things and certain experiences, but then what I did is I reinterpreted it and recreated it. So it's not really based on any one person or any one studio or any one anything, but it's reimagining it and putting it into the context of a sort of, again, the romanticized past slash reality and the conflict that happens between them. And that's always the theme in almost all my books, is this sort of conflict of how you think things are going to be and how things really are. And you see that in Mail Order Bride with his, with his bride. You see it in Pete Duell with, uh, with his, you know, why did Pete Duell kill himself? You know, why, why would he do this? Even in Alex, too, when he comes back to his hometown. So it's always that same thing of you view uh, one thing and you go, okay, it's going to be this way and it's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful. And then when reality comes, you go, what, what happened? Why is this this way? And then the conflict begins because then you try to sort of almost maybe not justify I'm trying to think of the word try to try to figure out why why is this not fitting into the way I imagined the uh, the way the world should have been
how much um because it's you know hard for me to think about uh animation and comics especially like the era you're talking about without touching on Kim Deitch and I'm wondering um are you responding at all to his work uh I apologize I don't know I don't know who he is Kim Deitch Sorry. yeah I've heard his name but I don't know what he's done oh he did uh, hey, Waldo say one more time Waldo he, he did a series about a imaginary cartoon cat that comes to haunt the life of a uh animator from the old days Oh wow! No, I'm, <laughs> I'm not familiar. I apologize. I'm not familiar at all. Oh, you might enjoy it. Yeah, actually, I'll look it up. And so, an animator actually brings this character to life. And is it an old book or is it a new book? He's an underground cartoonist, um, but he most his his best stuff has been coming out in the last ten to fifteen years. Oh, okay. Well, um, I will look. I will look for him, and I do apologize to him. I, I'm sorry. I'm not uh, aware. It's interesting though. I I I'm actually really interested that that of that that non-awareness of Kim's work because it's uh, that's fascinating because I mean to me um, a lot of the circles I run around in like Kim's very ever-present. So that non-presence is interesting. So it hasn't really affected. It wouldn't affect at all how you kind of take in this work because there is definitely similar themes. And I was thinking well, that is interesting. Yeah, but no, this was all created in, uh, uh, yeah, just basically my own little vacuum, you know. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting that because I find it fascinating that there you know, somebody else is creating, but also it's just interesting that uh, also the latest Woody Allen movie coming out, uh, it has sort of the same kind of themes about Paris that he's doing, and I want to go take a look at it just to see. Uh, uh, how he interprets a romanticism of a romanticized past, because supposedly this character goes back to Paris in the 20s when Hemingway was there and stuff. So I find this interesting, these kind of themes of romanticized past and how we t today, as a, as a contemporary person, perceive these, uh, these moments, which weren't that great, but to us, we view them and put them on a pedestal. So it's kind of interesting, all these kind of themes. Mm -hmm. Kim's... Is, is, oh. oh, I was just wondering, um, L.A., is that a difficult place to romanticize? I mean, what I've seen of it is just freeways. You know, what's freeways. Funny? you know what's funny, Colin? The thing is, is that actually it is. Because, see, the beauty of Los Angeles is that it's completely different from what it was back in the old days compared to what it is today. And in a way, that's what the book explores. When, you, when I do that Chapter 3 tour where he takes his girl for a walk through downtown, I do from a present day, and then I flash back to the 40s. And the thing is, is that you see the difference that uh, L.A. and the changes that Los Angeles has. And I chose a particular area called the Bunker Hill District because it so was altered that actually even hills were carved down, as well as ev almost every building was wiped out. So you have not even a landmark or even an earth, you know, even like the earth topography, I guess that's the right word, or whatever the word is, even the, the way the, the ground was is completely altered. So in a way with Los Angeles, it's that kind of romanticism that I think a lot of Los Angeles people have, because L.A. really was a small town before the war. It was literally just a town with a very unique business, you know, basically Hollywood. And so it had a sort of a cottage kind of way, these cute little bungalow houses, which actually I show one being destroyed there in, in the book, um, uh, this, this sort of uh, easygoing almost way with its palm trees and that. And then as after the war, where, where my book is set, people start coming, but then it alters and it changes. And that's why, too, the freeway is important, because the freeway is the thing that sort of cut the city up. It cut the city into different little neighborhoods and little cliques so we could move quicker, but we don't stop into those neighborhoods anymore. So now the thing is is that to take that exit off. And so I use the freeway as sort of an analogy that, okay, he's stuck in traffic, but as he's driving, his mind goes back into Los Angeles, goes back to its past, goes and takes a look around, but also, also the present day, too. So there's sort of that whole contrast between that, between the romanticized and the present day. Well, I was fascinated by that section of the book because I wasn't really aware that L.A. had a downtown. Well, that's the that's the part. A lot of people aren't, even people in Los Angeles. <laughs> 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 because most of the time, well, actually, it's starting to have a rebirth right now. 
but uh, but for the longest period, uh, downtown was just for business. And then when five o'clock, when six o'clock came along, five o'clock, six o'clock, everybody left. Downtown was empty. It was deserted. And but now it's slowly. A lot of young people are moving down there. They're restoring a lot of old buildings. It's really remarkable. My wife and I go down there almost every weekend to draw. We like drawing old buildings. And uh, it, it's a remarkable now. Just young people, young families, people walking dogs, restaurants, bars. It's, it's, it's turned around. It's really turned around. But back, so the book is set in the, in the, in the, in the mid-90s. At that time, downtown was still a little weird, a little, little, uh, a little quiet. Like even that one scene where they're doing the tour, even, the, even his girl, Chloe, asked him, where are all the people? Because just people didn't come down on the weekends. It was, you could lay on the street out there and not get hit by a car. You know, it was just that deserted. There's a. It is really fascinating with LA right now because there's a definitely a burgeoning art scene there. A lot of mm-hmm. young forward stuff like uh, this one cartoonist has a shop there called uh, Family uh, Sammy Harko. Oh, is that right? And it's really neat. He does some really, really crazy stuff there, and uh, gorgeous comics. Gorgeous comics. Oh, I, I gotta take a look at that. I gotta check yeah. that out. Yeah, he just. Uh, I think they're. Op- reopening, they close for a month to renovate to expand the gallery. So mm. there you go, advertisement. There you go, Sammy. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I check that out. That'll be interesting. Do you still have the same kind of love for the, a certain era of animation that you did growing up, or was it kind of tarnished as your time working uh, in the industry? Uh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I think no matter what, I always have, a, 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 again, a romanticism, because I think it's, it was an interesting period. It's, uh, it, uh, you know, a lot, of, and the work they did is great. I mean, it's still, to me, it's everything from Warner Brothers cartoons to the Disney uh, feature films uh, are, are fantastic. And to me, I think that shows that the quality was extraordinary. And uh, there is just a, a, a sort of... A, I don't know. It is a, there is. I can't help but have a romance, even though I know it wasn't. There was, you know. I, I remember teachers talking about, you know, a lot of times about suicides and about alcoholism and stuff, which I reinterpreted for the book because it was. It was there was a darkness in there, and even too, a lot of these people were really. And I even say that in the book too. Were meant to be fine artists. They weren't interested in animation. They wanted to be fine artists, but they turned to animation to make the living. Where a lot of my generation, we wanted to be animators. We, that was our goal. We want to be animators and work in the animation business. But for those people of, of the of the 40s and 30s, and uh, they wanted to be fine artists who just went into animation to make a living and feed their wives, wives and kids. You know, so it was that kind of thing. Well, it's, a lot it's, of the early cartoonists were like that as well. Is that right? Yeah, I bet you. I bet you. Yeah, yeah. Jack Kirby got his start doing fill-ins for the Fleischers. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's, that's wild. Yeah, on uh, Popeye in the thirties. Yeah, uh, there you go. It, it's interesting now too because it's uh, a lot of animators are just technically good with the programming aspect, but aren't even that excited about art in general. Just like art, comics, animations, just it's a day job. Like oh, other. you mean oh, you mean the idea that they split between both that they animate but then at night do something else? Is that what you're saying? Well, just that now, like uh, they there's not necessarily as much of that creative spark in uh, a lot of animators uh, that I meet where it's like that's they they can draw so they do this job and it's kind of the job they have because that's their skills, mm-hmm. but they're not uh, they're not creatively enthused. So it's a yeah, I, 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 challenge. I, I, yeah, you know, I I have to admit I really I I can't really say that I think in a way there's a, I will say that they they are creatively uh, active and that and and even though maybe the animation world is there now centered isn't like the you know the old days a lot of them are doing their own work on their 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 own time and they put in a lot of passion into even the the not only their own work but the animation work they do so I will say that still I think that the animation. Uh, business that I'm a part of and the people that I know uh, mm-hmm. still have a lot of uh, very talented and very creative people. And matter of fact, I mean, even my wife and I, we, we'll look at blogs of some fellow animators and some of the younger people that are coming up too that I, I've never even met. And some, oh my God, there's some really nice stuff. So, so no, I'll say that actually, they, I think they are just as creative. 
Uh, I, they, it may not be the fine art world that was of the old days, but but then again, it, it doesn't matter uh, to me as long as people are creating and uh, um, and doing their own thing. Hey, more power to everybody, you know, because that's the way it should be. Now the book's called Freeway. How much did freeways rule your world? Oh, I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, <laughs> they rule. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically. How the book start? How the idea? And this was this was back in the about in 1987. The idea came about with me being stuck on a freeway. I was driving along, and I just caught my mind bouncing around. How your mind is when you're stuck, and you're just thinking about different things. You think about the past or the present or your whatever thought comes to your comes uh, comes through. And I said, well, gee whiz. I said this would uh, this would make an interesting way to tell a story. And I was actually inspired by. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the book and especially the movie Slaughterhouse Five. And I love the way uh, he bounced. Of course, he's unstuck in time, so he bounced through different uh, parts of his life. And then also uh, later on, I saw The Singing Detective, and that also inspired it. Even uh, even uh, even uh, the same thing. The idea of being again trapped, like he was trapped with uh, with ill health in a hospital bed, and again how his mind bounced from his life to his fantasy life, and again creating this sort of alter ego with this, uh, this detective. And so that, uh, that was sort of the inspiration. So again, being stuck on that freeway gave me the idea for the book Freeway. So yeah, so freeway has a big, uh, freeways here in Los Angeles have a big part of it. And, uh, and, uh, and in a way, even though they're frustrating, sometimes you, you can get, a, get a, a nice bit of inspiration from them. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me about the creative outlet that that comics provide for you, because I mean, a big part of this we're talking earlier about the just a second ago about animators and their mm -hmm. different level of creativity. How do comics feature for you as far as as an outlet, like taking this large amount of time to work slowly on one project? Well, the thing with comics is that I just uh, it just gives me the freedom, and also too, I, I guess the best way to put it first is I I like working by myself. Uh, with the animation business, it is a team effort. You have to work with a lot of people. The comic book, I can sit there and just be by myself, and I can create, like in the book downtown, or the freeway jammed with cars, I can do that. I can come about with my own, my own pen, my own ideas, my own creativity, and I can draw this. Now, yeah, it is time-consuming, but the beauty of it is it's very personal, and that's what I love about the comic book. This is personal. I can do what I want. And I can create the way I want to see things. And the beauty also with Fanagraphics is my publisher, they let me. And that's the real nice part about it. They absolutely <laughs> uh, uh, won't, they don't hold me back. They don't say, oh, we don't like this, or, or dumb it down, or this kind of thing. Nope. They let me have free reign. So the beauty of the comic book is that, and also just as a comic book itself, I love the idea of mixing words and pictures. I love the idea of pages and the way of putting a page across. I like that. I like the instantly you see the first traffic jam. I made sure to put it as a two-page spread, so you just see that a whole gigantic traffic jam there, and uh, put in the details, so that way your eyes just get a treat. And that's the beauty of it. I like that kind of thing with the comic book. It's just it's very it's very personal to me, and that's I think that's the. Uh, and also, I'll even say this, it's not that technical, and I like that too. It is really just back to the good old pen and ink. Even though I did use Photoshop for those transfer scenes where you see them, where the, it goes from the past to the present and back again. Mm -hmm. But overall, it's still good old-fashioned pen and ink, and I love that kind of thing. Just get your hands dirty. Yeah, Could get you, your hands dirty. Could you see this as an animated film? Um, <laughs> that's a good question too. Yeah, did I see this as an animated film? Uh, hmm. No. <laughs> I actually, I'll be honest, I actually almost see it more as a live action film. Uh, uh, it, it, it's almost, again, using the inspiration of, again, like Singing Detective or, or Slaughterhouse Five, I almost see it that way. That was, it's actually more a stronger, in, uh, stronger uh, inspiration that way. It's live action more than animation. Now, would you keep the anthropomorphized head? In a live action. Oh, I, I probably, I, you know what? A funny thing is, I probably wouldn't.
sentimental journey Gonna set my heart at ease Gonna make a sentimental journey To renew old memories Got my bag, got my reservation Spent each dime I could afford Like a child in wild anticipation Long to hear that all aboard Seven, that's the time we leave at seven. I'll be waiting up at heaven, counting every mile of railroad track that takes me back. Never thought my heart could be so yearning. Why did I decide to roam? Gotta take that sentimental journey, sentimental journey home, sentimental journey. I, I'm curious. Um, thinking on that is using using Alex um, using that head how does that allow you to kind of step out of who you are in creating this character or does it like separating him from you well I guess it is that thing of, of like all through history of writing and that and you know you know old fairy tales we always use the animal character as sort of our uh, our outsider you know it's Aesop's fables, all that kind of stuff. We always use Grimm's fairy tales. We've always used animals as, as sort of a stand-in for our, our, ourselves or for different character traits or different fears or different evils and that kind of stuff. And so in a way, the beauty of the Alex character is that he gives me this sort of, um, he, he separates me from all the other actions so that he's all, he is, he is animatable. He is, he's much more movable. He's much more uh, uh, playful in, in expressions and stuff than the human characters that are around him. So I kind of like that separation that he gives. And also, too, he just stands separate, which is sort of what I want with Alex. Alex is a, is a, uh, is a loner. He is a person who views himself differently from every, you know, everyone else. He wa- he's, he's, a, he's got that sort of, um, uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think what the right word is, but let's just say he's he's uh, he's 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 separate and he's uh, he's uh, uh, apart from um, from uh, at least the way he perceives it from uh, the world around him. So in a way, it's it it, it makes it visually um, visually strong that way to have him separate. And then also too, like I, I may have mentioned this before in our last interview, but I'll say it again. Also, he was actually based on a character I created as a kid. And I created this back in 1968 when I was 10 years old. And he used to be just a classic uh, uh, character. He used to have a brother. And him and his brother used to do uh, adventures a la Carl Barks, Donald Duck, you know, that kind of thing going all mm-hmm. over the world and solving mysteries. But then gradually, and I even tried to sell it. And when I got out of high school, I didn't want to get a job. <laughs> so so uh, I asked my parents, I said, would you mind if I tried to you know, do this comic strip for a while and uh, see if I can sell it to a syndicate. My parents were very uh, open-minded and said, okay, go ahead, try. So I sent every syndicate all through Canada and America. No one bit, so finally I had to get work. So, uh, but still, uh, that, was, that was the original idea. And then what happened was, this was back in 97, I was at home visiting my family, and I was in Trail, and Trail is an interesting city. It's a very interesting city. The, that big smokestacks and the smelter on the hill and then the way the houses are built up there, it's, it's really very unique city to look at. And I just started thinking, like, going, oh, wouldn't it be interesting? And again, another inspiration was Charles Bukowski. And I said, wouldn't it be interesting if there's like a Charles Bukowski kind of character living in Trail? And then I said, well, that, what if I then took the character that I created as a child and put him in, but put adults, situations. Mm-hmm. Now it's not solving mysteries. 
it's basically alcoholism, <laughs> depression, worry, anxiety, and do that with the character. And so again, that also with all his anxieties also helped push the character to be separate and again to be that dog away from the people uh, 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 character. Well, he um, seems to have grown up in Freeway. Yes, he has. I think part of it is is when I <laughs> when I wrote uh, uh, Alex, I was more of an angry young man. <laughs> now I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little mellower in my age, <laughs> and so Alex is actually a little bit more uh, a little more uh, calmer. But also, too, I didn't want him to be ranting for 420 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I I just sort of figured that it, people would get really sick of that pretty fast. So I figured let's keep him a little calmer in places, let him be a little bit more, uh, let his anxiety more be at a slow uh, boil instead of uh, instead of just losing it all the time. And then, of course, at the end, with the ending, it has much more impact then, too. So, uh, so yeah, so no, Alex is a lot more of the, uh, a mellower person, though. There's something you said about uh, just going going back to Bukowski about how he's really an LA writer too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that can kind of I I can't help but when I because I mean he was really important to me as a writer at a certain point in my life, reading your work and I'm just thinking of like post office with him like wandering the streets and. Well, that's well, that's actually a wonderful comparison. I appreciate that. But yeah, Bukowski is great. He's uh, there's just something about his simplicity and and his absolute honesty when he writes that's what i like too this guy doesn't doesn't uh you know, pre- you know doesn't protect himself or anybody around him he just lays it all out for you to uh to look at and uh i just find his work to be very inspiring and his poetry is wonderful it's it's just amazing just to uh to read things that just it's, it's, there's no there's no candy coating in this stuff. There's no no flourishes. He just writes it just straight and real, and it it's just it's a real it's a real kick. I just I I, I get a lot of inspiration from that fellow. You know, that, he's, it's sad he's gone, but uh, what a what a what a what an inspiration he is. My, one of my favorite Bukowski things is uh, about when he got a a computer. He was mm-hmm. happy because it didn't slow down his. Um, his writing it sped it up mm-hmm. he could just type as fast as the words could make it onto the onto the screen instead of getting the typewriter mashing up oh yeah <laughs> just, I don't know, i've never read that one so i'm not familiar with it yeah no it was one of i think it's one of in his uh one of his last books one of mm. the um, i think maybe it was the one with the uh the crumb in it the the captain's out to sea or something like that i can't remember the name of it but mm. yeah, one of his more journal stuff, not uh, fiction, even though it's not really fiction. Um, putting together such a kind of big book like this, did you have? Did you kind of go for some input from other folks, or did you kind of work by yourself in a vacuum? Uh, well, uh, you mean like artists or family artists, members? editors, peers? Uh, basically. Uh, um, uh, like well, again, inspiration. Again, I'll, I'll, uh, I mentioned the, the two the movies and the, the, the TV series had a big impact on that. Um, also, um, basically, though, uh, family members helped a lot because I always, always before I start, I start telling my ideas and start talking about it. And you know, a lot of times we'll get input like, oh, oh that's interesting, and they'll say something in that. But overall, it was a vacuum. It was um, I just would sit and daydream and I would just think about it and keep thinking about it and like I said the, the original idea started in 1987 and I didn't start writing the script till 2000 so that's how long it incubated in the head and so it was that kind of thing of just just constantly daydreaming about it daydreaming about it thinking about it when, I, when an idea would come I'd write it down on a card I'd start having a stack of cards uh, uh, and, oh, and also on scraps of paper and everything and then from there, just started once I was ready to get started, once Mail Order Bride was finished, then I just began the process of writing the script and, then, uh, uh, um, and building the whole story. And actually, one interesting thing about it, because it's different timelines, I actually wrote the book for, I wrote the first beginning draft of the script on index cards and different colored index cards so that each time period would have its own color. So okay. that way I wouldn't get lost. So as I wrote, let's say, the freeway part, I think they were on white cards, I'm not sure. 
I would do the whole freeway section. And then, like, the 1940s, I would write that another set of color. I would do this pink or blue, I can't remember. And then I would write that completely through. And then the 1970s story, I'd write that one completely through. And then when that was all done, by using the, then I'd start shuffling them. And the beauty of it is, with the different colored cards, I didn't get lost. So I knew what was to come, and it sort of almost was like a visual putting together as much as a theme putting together. It was like, okay, I'll follow this theme. Like, for instance, in Chapter 3, we'll use Chapter 3 as the example, uh, if you're the only girl in the world, I wanted to deal with, with women. So that's where he first meets Chloe, so I have the whole thing with him and Chloe, and of course their date. But then also there's the mystery girl in the car, so I have that whole thing, and you find out why she's the mystery girl and when she comes in. But these are different time periods, and I would use that to with the cards I could be able to know when to put to put Chloe in and put the mystery girl in and bounce back and forth so it, it, it helped a lot that way to uh, to uh, to make the story uh, make the script uh, cohesive when did you realize it was going to be 400 plus pages <laughs> I realized it had been processed <laughs> I, actually, I thought it, I thought it was going to be close to the mail order bride size that's what I thought, like 300, I think mail order bride's 325 or something, yeah. uh, which is still big. But, uh, but as the book went, uh, I could see that it was starting to grow. But the whole book was a surprise. I actually thought the book was going to be about, take me maybe four years tops to get done. And uh, I was stunned as it went along. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it started to grow and grow and grow. But also, too, it just it was very detailed. Uh, the research took a long time. I had to even, like, for instance, even the, uh, it, again, I'm going to use Chapter 3. I always use Chapter 3, but it's a good example is the, of course, the trip downtown. There's that little railroad, that little binicular railroad called Angel's Flight that they take. Well, that is trademarked. I had to go and ask permission for that. So again, wow. that's sort of like, yeah. So it's sort of like you have to. I can't. You have to. You have to uh, be prepared for these changes. And with that, again, you have to go and write letters and do this kind of thing. And so parts of the book, it just it, it took it took more and more time as I went along. The other part too is drawing cars. There, uh, cars are something else to draw, and they are. I hate uh, drawing they, cars. Oh, they are. I say they're a killer. <laughs> They are. It's so difficult because you have to make it look like it's solid, but they got those beautiful fluid lines. And mm -hmm. so, and I'm drawing, and I'm drawing hundreds of them. You know, so that takes a lot of time too. So, so yeah. So, but, so, but, but, like I said, when we first did our first radio interview, I was already in the well aware stage of, oh my lord, what have I done? You know. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so no, that's that was a surprise, you know. So since um, drumming up to the book coming out, you'd been starting up a blog, uh, kind of mm -hmm. increasing web presence or creating web presence. The the sketches you've been posting is that just kind of pastime or is that processed or something? Uh, are you oh you mean uh, uh, is it uh, really part of the book or just something that I just do like when uh, like sort of doodling is that what yeah you yeah oh actually those sketches were all part of the book process that was that was I because the book was so again so complicated and bounced around different times and sometimes I'd have to leave characters and then come back to them and I'd forget how to draw them and uh, so it was best for me to always do sketches first and then I would uh, trace them or you know, basically yeah, trace them onto the board because it just got to be where I was just constantly erasing and erasing trying to figure out okay how did this character work again or how this character happened and then also the complexity of things like for instance even just drawing Alex inside a car you got you got to make sure the steering wheel you got to make sure this and that you got to make things match up you got to you know it's again that kind of thing of uh, of, uh, uh, of that there's a lot more in this than just the basic, just like a talking head. So uh, it was easier for me to do these quicker, these, these sort of rougher sketches that you saw, like they're all done in crayon. And then what I would do is just Xerox them and then you know, put a little pencil behind them and then just trace them down onto the board. And uh, so that also caused the book to go a little slower because it's almost like you're doing the drawings twice. But for me, it worked really well because, again, just the complexity. Again, drawing cars, again, different time periods. I mean, just like the 40s, too, I had a stack of just, uh, this is before, see, when I did my research, before I, I ever had a computer, so I didn't have the internet to go and look at 
uh, you know, old clothes and stuff. So I had a stack of Xeroxes from all the libraries I researched of just 40s clothes, 40s cars, uh, bicycles from the 40s, anything I needed from the 1940s. So I would always have that ready to go. So when it was time to go back to the 40s, I'd haul out that, that big file and start <laughs> sorting through that. And again, you have to warm up. Okay, how are the 40s? I got to warm that up. I got to, you know, draw the fedora correctly. I got to do that. Then I got to flash back to the present day and in the car again. So I got to haul out all that. So it became this sort of, uh, so it, it was that sort of, uh, these sketches really helped to um, uh, uh, put my ideas down and then make it, make it look good on the finished page. Mm -hmm. You're still doing sketch work, though, uh, like a kind of somewhat fashion type Oh, yeah, that's, I, I go down and draw down at the, my, our, our farmer's market here on 3rd and Fairfax, and I, I just draw people going by, and um, it's always, you know, pretty girls are always fun to draw, and I always like the way you know they dress, so... Uh, so basically, I do these little little small paintings and stuff of them, which is just a nice little exercise. It's, uh, I like. I'm, I'm not much of a colorist, so it's kind of fun to do a little painting like that and uh, play with color. So, and it's just also a different way because I do a more flatter, more. Uh, if you notice, sort of almost a mosaic kind of look to my drawing, yeah. and, and where everything's sort of uh, you know fractured and there's, and that. So that's just sort of like my other. Uh, it's just basically another uh, way of you know keeping. Keeping me creative, keeping me loose, uh, having some fun, and uh, and playing around a little bit. What do you ink with? One more time, I'm sorry. Well, what do you ink with? Your line ink work. With? Oh, what, uh, what uh, with with the artwork? Yeah. Yes. Or with the with the with the comic books or with the with the painting? With the comic books. Oh, just good old fashioned classic. Uh, uh, I, well, I'll use uh, uh, ink, regular, you know, uh, black Pelican ink. And then also, too, I work with those uh, Pigma pens. Those, uh, uh, they're really nice. They have different sizes, even right down to a .005, which is just wonderful for fine work. And those are really nice pens. And, I, and they have archival ink, too. So that's, that's what's nice about it, too. So, so I use basically just, you know, you know, the good old Pelican ink for deep lines or dark, thick lines, or, of course, filling up black areas. But then for the fine work, it's these Pigma pens, which are really good. I mean, I'll put a plug in for them because uh, I recommend them to anybody. They're a really wonderful pen to work with. Do you use dip, mar uh, dip pen? Uh, again, I apologize. But nibs? Uh, do you use uh, dip pens? Oh, I do nibs? use nibs uh, on for thicker lines. Like if you if you notice on some of the lines of Alex, and that I do use a nib there to make it a lot thicker and a lot more. Uh, the nib makes a nice. Uh, fluid line, so I do that for the thicker lines, and then also for the board, you know, for the panel borders and that. And then when I go back into details, I go with the pigma. So, mm. all right, I think we're at the uh, the end of our time here, Mark. Oh, okay. Unless Colin, do you have any more questions? No, um, I just want to say I think it's a it's a wonderful piece. All right. Well, well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Colin. There you go. I'll agree with Colin. Just to remind listeners, the book is Freeway from Fanographics by Mark Kalisnico. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my tongue gets wrapped up in things. Um, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, and uh, congrats on, on its completion. Well, thank you very much, and again, I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys and uh, doing the interview. It's uh, it's a, a great show, and thank you very much. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, and also, real quick, go Canucks! <laughs> oh, after last night, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. They'll 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 do it. They'll do it. <laughs> that was a, I was watching it at work. That was a pretty brutal slaughter. <laughs> it got very quiet in our neighborhood. <laughs> oh, is that? <laughs> don't, don't worry. Next game, it'll work. It'll work. Well, I have faith. Yeah, our uh, our friend uh, Robin Bougie, when the Canucks win, he goes out into the streets and high fives and hugs everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like a yes, madman. I haven't man. talked to him since. He's probably quite despondent. Yeah. Oh. I'd, <laughs> yeah. I'd I'd be worried. I'd take away his shoelaces and belts at this point after yesterday. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Mark. You got to accentuate the positive limb. Mine hit the negative and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In Between. You got to spread joy up to the maximum. Bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. To illustrate my last remark, Jonah in the way. What did they do just when everything looked so dark? Man, they said we better accept you ain't the positive feeling. Might hate the negative and latch on to the affirmative. Don't mess with Mr. In-Between. No, don't mess with Mr. In-Between. You gotta spread. Mr. In-Between.